And hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is your friend Roderick, the guy that likes to read stories and mythologies and all kinds of cool tales. And before I begin, I want to extend my gratitude for everyone that's been listening to this podcast thus far. And I am just so excited about this. This is something I've I've been wanting to do for a while, and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. I also want to apologize for my delay in the upload, the, the, you know, this upload, because it's kind of late for me putting it out, but um, I will continue to shoot for Wednesdays, but I had a little setback. But anyway, um, I also received some positive comments from people, really, really good comments, people saying they like the podcast and that uh, they want me to read some more ghost stories. So I'm going to do that. I have a feeling that's going to be a popular kind of theme here a little bit off and on, right? <laughs> Ghost stories and cultural stories, but, um, well, they're kind of one in the same anyway, but I want to do something a little bit different tonight. I wanted to make up a story on the spot. I wanted to use my imagination and my writing skills, but I'm going to I'm not writing anything. I'm going to be orally telling you a story. And I'm choosing this one to be a ghost story. So what I'm going to tell you is I'm going to tell you the story of Koche Sakeona. And I believe I've mentioned her before. She is a yokai, which is a vengeful Japanese spirit. So let's dive right in. It's almost like we're at a campfire or something, you know, sitting around a campfire. So this story begins in the year 1999 AD in Tokyo. It takes place predominantly at the University of the Arts, the Tokyo School of the Arts. So on a Wednesday, late afternoon, there were three young men working on a wonderful project in their class for their final. It was Akira a 21-year-old art student who was very talented, very talented painter and a very talented sculptor. And he was a pretty good musician as well, just very artsy all around. He was the first artist in his family to get admissions to the Institute. And the other two men were his best friends, Samo and Prince, although those were not their real names. Samo and Prince were tributes to American abstract artists. So as they were finishing up their project, well, not quite finishing, they were finishing up their session in class, they get dismissed. They walk outside to the back alley and begin smoking their cigarettes and walking, talking, discussing what future projects that they may do for their next final, their final of finals. <clears throat> Akrita's uh, cell phone rang and he answers it. And it's a beautiful girl that he had gotten to know very recently by the name of Yumi. Yumi says, I want you to take a walk with me tonight at the, at the uh, forest. We're going to have like a nice evening because you have not spent much time with me lately. Although Yume and Akira were not dating at the time, they both had a general acceptance of each other, a liking of each other. So later that evening, they were walking as it began to get dark. It began to get colder. They both had their jackets on, bundled, walking with their hands in their pocket. And of course, because Akira likes to smoke, he took a cigarette out and then decided, oh, I need to use the bathroom. I'll be right back. He ducks behind a tree, unzips his pants and began doing his business. When Yumi just looked up, looked up at the moon, noticing the soft clouds, the glow 
around the clouds, revealing the face of the beautiful moon, so bright and so peaceful. Then she felt a soft breeze caress her neck. And then from the corner of her eye, she sees a white flash. And she turns over her left side and sees a white figure at a distance. And then a tickle at her neck as if hair had, had graced her neck. She shivered and the figure disappeared. This surprised Yumi. And then Akira comes out from the back of the tree, brushing its hands on the side of his pants in order to wipe his hands off. <laughs> okay, let's head back now. I think we've been out here enough. Akira, I, I saw something over there. Maybe it was a ghost. It's not funny. I really did see something. What did it look like? I don't know. It's white. It looked like a woman, but I couldn't really tell. Ah, don't worry about it. Let's just go back. Okay. So they exited the forest and they took a train back, back into the town square where both of them lived. Yumi and Akira lived approximately, approximately nearly two miles apart, actually not approximately nearly two miles apart on opposite sides. He lived east. She lived west of the square, pretty much close to the University of the Arts, of course. Then the two hugged and then parted ways, although Yumi was a little bit scared, but Akira insisted that he had to be, be in class early the next day. So she was kind enough to say, yes, okay. Otherwise, I'd want you to walk me back. I would walk you back, but I got to be in class early. They parted ways. Akira took the subway back home and he went to bed. He woke up very early in the morning and he, and he gets a call from Prince. Okay, the professor said that he's going he's gonna to unlock the door at 5.30 today and let us uh, come in early so we can have a head start on finishing our, our project. And since I'm the punctual one, I'll probably be there first, but I encourage you to be there early as well. Okay, okay, I'll be there. I'll be there early. Click. Akira hangs up the phone, sets his alarm, goes back to sleep. Now, shortly after the phone call, it was still a little bit dark outside. And then... Prince was not able to go back to sleep at all since he was always such an early bird, but he liked to drink coffee. So he made himself a cup of coffee, drank it, put on his jacket and scarf since it was cold in the morning, and he walked. But this time, since he lived closer to the university than the others, he took a shortcut through the alleyway. And just as the sun was starting to rise, he can see it reflecting in the puddles of water on the ground. There was no one in the alleyway hanging out. No one at the, near, at the near restaurants. They were not yet open. There was nothing. So it was a nice quiet walk for himself until in the distance, he saw something strange. What kind of, which vagrant is this? He thought, oh, I mean, just some woman. It's a woman walking with their hair down very long and it's wet, slightly damp even, slightly parted in the middle, and she's wearing a white gown. It looks like she's glowing, he thought. He was walking towards her, 
little bit cautiously as the, as he's gotten close. And then all of a sudden, the figure sort of floats to the side just to ease her way closer to him. And then she stops. And then Prince stopped in his tracks and his eyes widened and she raised her head up a little bit and she floated even closer to him and he was able to smell something like lilies. She smelled like lilies, he thought. Strange, stranger than I thought. And he noticed a slight faint glow of gray around her body. And her eyes were yellow. He thought to himself, yellow eyes? Who has yellow eyes? She had a mask covering her face, a hospital mask. Am I pretty? He looks and he's startled. He begins stepping backwards slowly. He has his hand in his pocket. Um, 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 um. And at that moment, Prince edged himself up against the wall of the alley. And then a strange, mysterious phantom came closer and looked at him, and her eyes became began to glow a little more yellow. And that smell of lilies fainted and became the smell of rotten flesh. He sees her dainty white fingers remove the mask, revealing a very unstable, wide and mandible, full of white teeth and a long pointed tongue that rolled out of her mouth with a slight drip of blood. Am I pretty? No, no, you're not. No. The woman pulled out a large pointed rusty pair of shears and plunged them into his gut and twisted it also slightly. And a taste of salty blood filled his mouth as he fell on his knees and then his face dead. The blood ran from his body and filled a puddle of water mixing in nearby. And then the figure put her mask back to cover her face. She backs slowly, slowly back, and then she turns and disappears off. About 40 minutes later, class was already in session. Everyone was working on their finals in the lab. So at this point, it was Akita and Samo together working on a sculpture. Have you seen Prince? This is kind of weird. He's always here early, earlier than everybody else. The professor was not in class yet, but the, the two men had to go had went ahead and just started working on their project. Then the professor just walks in slowly. He removes his glasses. He strokes his graying goatee a little bit. Uh, class, uh, may I have your attention? Everybody up here, direct your attention to me, please. All the commotion stopped. People put down their palette knives, their brushes, other sculpting tools, and they gazed up to the front of the class at the professor. Due to a sudden news I just received, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss all of you. You can all go home. There was a tragedy today, this morning. We don't know what happened, but one of our precious students who did not show up today was found dead. 
just a little ways from here. And I'm very sorry. I know some of you were friends with him. I'm not going to say his name, but um, you can go home now. Thank you. Goodbye. If you need any counseling, you know who to contact. If you have any further information on his whereabouts before the event, please inform the office and they will tell the police. Thank you. And then little by little, the students began leaving the classroom. Everyone packed up their bags. They put their art tools away. But Samo was confused. Akira was confused. Akira went to the sink and washed his hands and he put his tools back in his bag. Professor, um, what happened? Do you know it? No, I don't, I can't say son. I don't know anything. I, this is my first time hearing anything like this. I'm sorry. If you have any information on what happened with Prince, you can, you know who to tell. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Akira was saddened as well as he was surprised. He went outside and began smoking a cigarette as he was walking back home. Samo came after him a little bit. Hey, hey, wait up, wait up. Hey, hey, what are we going to do? He was when he was our best friend. Oh my God, I can't believe this happened. I know, I know, I know. I don't, I don't know what happened. I, I want to know more, but I'm, I don't know. This, this is horrible, man. I'm just going to go home and be by myself for a while. I'll, I'll call you later. All right, buddy. All right. So the two young men parted ways. Then Akira gets back to his apartment and he's sitting on his bed. He's had some manga comic books around him to kind of take his mind off of today's tragedy. And his cell phone rang nearby. He picks it up and it's Yumi. Hey, hey, I wanted to uh, invite you over tonight. It's going to make some noodles for us. And, you know, maybe we can watch a movie or something, right? Are you okay? You're being a little quiet. No, I'm not really okay. I mean, I'll, I'll hang out, but yeah, it's Prince. He's he's gone. Gone? What do you mean gone? He was found dead today. What? My God, I'm so sorry. You want to come over just now then or something? Yeah, I'll be over there in a little bit. He hangs up his phone. He puts his, his phone, or he, excuse me, he disconnects his phone, puts it in his pocket puts his jacket on, he grabs his wallet and his Metro pass, and he takes the, he takes the Metro to her house. The two spare, they shared like a nice evening together. Noodles, they were watching cartoons. They barely really spoke about the event because Yumi was already aware of how sad and upset that Akira was. I think I'm going to go home now. Okay. Well, you know, you know where I'll be if you need me. Thank you. So a pensive Akira took the subway back home. <clears throat> Yumi herself felt like it was time to call it an early night. So she puts on her Hello Kitty t-shirt and she brushed her teeth and went to bed. But she could hardly sleep. She tossed and turned. The funny thing was, the light in her bathroom, which she shut off, flickered on. And she raised her head to look, and it flicked off. 
and then it flicked on again. This time she she gets up out of her bed and she turns the light off in the bathroom. Like, oh, this is weird. What's, what's happening? And she heard a sound in her living room. She goes in her living room and looks around a very spacious open living room with only a futon and a very small floor level table that, that she ate the noodles off of. She had a very clean place. She left her window slightly open, so her curtains were blowing just a little bit. And she turns the light on and sees nothing. And then she when she turns to her when she turned her light off, she saw a white figure again, just like she did at the forest, but this time it was a little bit more clear. She could see damp and wet hair, very long, almost covering the face. And something over the mouth. It was a woman wearing all white. And it floated closer to her slowly. She turned the lights on and it was the same. Even more clear, she could see slightly blood stained on the on the white dress. The woman had bare feet and she had a pair of scissors in her hand. This time they didn't look rusty, they looked very sharp very new, unused. Uh, oh my God. Then light, the lights flicked off. Oh my gosh. She says again, Oh, Oh no. Am I pretty? She froze. She gets down, hanging onto the counter on one knee, scared and the body lowered the face closer. And she removes the mask off her face. Am I pretty? Confused and puzzled and not knowing what to say, Yumi answered quickly, yes. And then the ghost's eyes widened in confusion. And the long, thin fingers put the mask back on the face again. Yes, you are pretty, said Yumi. And she backed up even more and turned her body with her head still looking at her. And she disappeared. Yumi sat for five minutes contemplating what she just saw or what she possibly did not see. Then she climbed back up, grabbed her cell phone, and she called Akira. Akira, you got to come over. You got to come over here. This is uh, I, a woman came into my house. I want you to come over. I want you to come over and be with me, please. Something. What are you talking about? There was a strange lady. Um, I don't know. Like she was asking me if, he, if she was pretty. It was it was the weirdest thing? All right, fine, fine, fine. I'll I'll come over. I, I don't I don't believe you. I think you're messing with me. You know, I, I just lost one of my best friends, and you're telling me about some. I'm not taking advantage of you. I just want you to be with me. Something happened. Please come over. Fine, fine. All right. So Akira gets a, puts his shoes on, puts a jacket on. He brushes his teeth. He grabs his wallet and his metro pass, and he heads out the door. But this time he, he walks to a, a back alley. He wanted to see what was going on, but he wanted to take take the alleyway to the metro station. And this time there were other people walking in back of the alley, as often were the case in Tokyo. But then he cuts down another alley where there was no one. And he sees a white figure, the same figure that Prince saw, the same figure that Yumi saw. 
He looks and he backs up to go the other way. And immediately the figure was in front of them, looking at him with cold, dead eyes. A cold glaze, a cold gaze, excuse me. Am I pretty? What was his reply? Am I pretty? I don't know. He was scared when he said when he made that answer, and then she removed her mask off her face with her mouth widened again. The crackling sound of her mandible and her tongue flickering out almost like a serpent. And she leans forward, her neck elongates more, extended towards him. Am I pretty? No. Get the hell away from me. She takes her scissors and slashes him right in his stomach very hard. But with his adre- all his adrenaline, he grabs it, grabs his stomach, and he turns around and just runs away, bleeding. He makes a U-turn and goes back to his apartment. He didn't take the elevator this time. He took, he took the stairs to the fourth floor, turns a shower on, gets in the shower right away, removes his shirt, and starts washing the wounds. Oh my God! This is what, what was that? This is this is the craziest thing. His phone rings and it's Yumi. You got to come over here. No, 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 no. You don't understand. I just saw something. I was attacked by a weird woman. And this is what she looked like. And he went over the whole event of what happened. And, and then Yumi, was, Yumi says, that's the one. That's the one you want to be careful. You want to be careful of her. If she asks you if you're pretty, just tell her yes. And he said, I already told her no. What do you mean you told her no? What do you mean you told her? Click. There was nothing. He drops the phone. He turns around, goes into his living room, notices that his door is open. He closes the door. He looks. He looks in the closet. Nothing. He looks in this small kitchen. Nothing. He slowly steps into his bedroom. Nothing. There's no one here. I'm safe. I think. I think I'm safe. He rushes up and grabs his jacket, puts his jacket on, zips it up. He grabs his keys, his Metro card. Okay. This time. I'm really going to go for it. I'm going to get out of here. He opens up the door. And there she is standing there. Her long black wet hair. This time she had an angry look in her face. Her eyes were not yellow, but they were red. She was not holding a pair of scissors in her hand this time. This time she was holding a daito, a very small samurai looking blade he backs up and she begins walking stumbling as she walked a very uneven gait he backs against the wall you're pretty you're pretty you're pretty you're pretty 
She places the blade in his mouth. You're fruit. You're fruit. He can't speak. And she pulls the blade, slitting the right side of his lip and the left side of his lip. And he falls to the floor, bleeding. She sheathes the blade, turns around, and disappears. Then the phone rings again, and it's Yumi. He was laying there frozen, unable to move, with a bloodied mouth. And then he hears his voice message. You got to come over here. You got to come over here. Please, you got to come over here. You got to come over here. So as it turned out, with this legend of Kochisake Oda, she began hunting the people of Japan due to their rage, due to her rage. But there was a silver lining. You see, when people would, would say, I don't know to her, which were from children that would run into her, she would leave them alone. But it's not like she was just bloodthirsty or blood hungry for anyone. She was a very, very angry spirit who was heavily mistreated. She went after men more than she went after women because it was a man that set her rage. All she wanted was peace. But it was too late for Akira, at least for this time around. But you may went to make things right. You see, she got over her fear. She found what she thought was Kuchisake Ona's grave, and she offered fruits and flowers and lit incense by it once a year in February. And it's said that the spirit became peaceful and that when Akira was born in his next life, he was born fearless and, and he became a famous artist in his next life. Anyway, that's the story. I made that up. <laughs> it's kind of a, not a happy story, but I just kind of got the mood to tell you this thing and made it up. So I hope you really enjoyed it. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and take a short break and then I'm going to read some other ghost stories for you. So they're not going to be like this one. This is by far the most bloody story I think I've told so far. But I hope you liked it. Hope you liked it. Drinking Companions. A fisherman named Su made his home outside the north gate of Tzu, a township in present-day Shantung. Every night he took along some wine to the riverside to drink while he fished. And each time he poured a little offering on the ground so that the spirits of those who had drowned in the river may have some wine too. When other fishermen had caught nothing, Sue usually went home with a basket full. One evening, as Sue was tippling by himself, a young man approached him and paced back and forth. Sue offered him a drink and grandly shared his wine jar. It was a disappointing night, however for he failed to catch a single fish. 
Let me go downstream and drive them up for you, said the young man, who rose up and departed in a manner that seemed to be airborne. He returned shortly and said, A number of fish will be arriving. And indeed, Sue can hear a chorus of splashing as the approaching fish struck at insects. He took up his net and got several, each a foot long. Delighted, Sue thanked the young man and started home. Then he turned to offer the benefactor some fish, but the young man declined, saying, I have often enjoyed your delicious brew, for my trifling assistance is not worth speaking of reciprocity. In fact, if you wouldn't refuse my company, I'd like to make a custom of it. We have spent only an evening together, answered Sue. What do you mean by often enjoyed? But it would be a pleasure if you kept visiting me, though I'm afraid I don't have anything to repay for your kindness. Then he asked a young man his name. I am Wong, was his reply, but have no given name. You could call me Liu Long, or Sixth Born, when we meet. And they parted. Next day, Sue sold his fish and bought more wine. In the evening, the young man was already there when Sue arrived at the riverbank, so they had the pleasure of drinking together again. And after several rounds, the young man suddenly whisked away to drive the fish for Sue. Things went on agreeably like this for half a year, when out of the blue, Liu Long announced to Sue, Ever since I had the honor of your acquaintance, we have been closer than the closest kin, but the day of parting has come. His voice was filled with sadness. Sue was surprised and asked, why? Why the young man started to speak and then stopped several times until he said at last, close as we are, the reason may shock you. But now that we are to part, there's no harm in telling you the plain truth. I'm a ghost. One with a weakness for wine. I died by drowning when I was drunk and I have been here for several years. The reason you always caught more fish than anyone else is that I was secretly driving them towards you and thanks for your libations. But tomorrow my term of karma ends and a replacement for me will be coming. I'm to be reborn in another life on earth. This evening is all that remains for us to share and it is hard not to feel sad. Sue was frightened at first, but then they had become close friends for so long that he, that his fear abated. He sighed deeply over the news, poured a drink, and said, Leo Long, drink this up and don't be despair. And for ways must part, that's the reason enough for regret. But if your karmic lot is fulfilled and your term of suffering relieved, that's the cause of congratulation, not sorrow and together they shared a deep swig of wine. Who will replace you? asked Sue. You'll see from the riverbank. At high noon, a woman will drown as she crosses the river and will be the one. As the roosters in the hamlet called forth the dawn, the two drinkers parted, shedding tears. The next day, Sue watched expectantly from the edge of the river a woman came carrying a baby in her arms. As she reached the river, she fell. She tossed the child to shore, 
then began crying and flailing her hands and feet. She suffered and sank. She sank several times until she pulled herself out of the streaming water. Then she rested a little while, took her child in her arms and left. When the woman was sinking, Sue could not bear it and wished he could rush to, to her rescue. He held back only because he remembered that she was to replace Liu Long. But when the woman got, got herself out, began to doubt what Liu Long had told him. At dusk, Sue went fishing in a usual spot. Again, his friend came to speak, came and said to him, Now we are together again and need not speak of parting for the time being. When Sue asked why, Liu Long replied, The woman had already taken my place, but I had pity for the child in her arms. Two should not be lost for one, and so I spared them. When I, when I will be replaced is not known, and so it seems that the brotherhood between us shall continue. Sue sighed with deep feeling. Such a humane heart should be seen by the highest in heaven. And so they had the pleasure of each other's company as before. Several days later, however, Liu Long came to say goodbye again. Sue thought that he had found another replacement, but Liu Long said, No, my compassionate thought for the drowning woman actually reached to heaven. And I have been rewarded with a position as a local deity in the Wu township of Chaoyuan country. I assume office tomorrow. Please remember our friendship and visit me. Don't worry about length or difficulty of the journey. What a comfort to have someone as upright as you for a deity, said Su, offering his congratulations. But no road connects men and gods. Even in the distance, did not daunt me. How could I manage to go? Simply go. Don't think about it, replied the young man. After repeating the invitation, he left. Sue went home to put his things in order and to set out at once, even though his wife mocked him. You're going hundreds of miles? Even if this place exists, I don't think you can hold a conversation with a clay idol. She sneered. Sue paid no attention. He started off and eventually arrived at Chaoyuan County, where he learned that there really was a Wu township. On his way there, he stopped at a hotel and asked for directions to the temple. The host said with an air of pleasant surprise, By any chance is our guest surname Su? Yes, uh, how did you know? The host left abruptly without making a reply. Presently, a mixed, a mixed throng approached and circled Sue like a wall. Men carried their babies. Women peeped around the doors. The crowd announced to an amazed Sue, Several nights ago, we had a dream in which our deity said that a friend named Sue would be coming and that we should help him out with his travel expenses. We have been respectfully awaiting you. Marveling at the reception, Sue went to sacrifice at the temple. Since we parted, he prayed, my thoughts had dwelled on you night and day. I have come far to keep our arrangement, and I am both favored and deeply moved by the sign that you that you give the local people. But I am embarrassed to have come without a fitting gift. All I brought was a flask of wine. If it is acceptable, let us drink as we used to at the riverbank.
his prayer done, Sue burned paper money. Shortly, he saw a wind arise behind the shrine. The smoke swirled around for a time and then disappeared. That night, Liu Long, looking altogether different now than he was captain garbed in finery, entered Sue's dreams. Expressing his appreciation, Liu Long said, For you come so far to see me moves me to tears, but I am unable to meet you directly because I hold such a trivial position. It saddens me to be so near to the living and yet so far. The people here have some meager presence for you as a token of her past association. Whenever you are to return home, I shall see you off myself. Sue remained in Wu Township a few more days before preparing to leave. The people of Wu tried to keep him longer, making earnest, earnest appeals and inviting him to day-long feast with different hosts. But Sue was set on returning home. The people outdid themselves in generosity, and before the morning passed, his bags were filled with gifts. The gray-haired and the young gathered to see him off out of the village. And a whirlwind followed him some three or four miles further. Sue bowed again and again. Take care of yourself, Liu Long, he said. Don't bother coming so far. With your humane and loving heart, you can surely bring good fortune to this township without advice from old friends. The wind swirled around for a time and then it was gone. The villagers, exclaiming in wonder at these events, also went to their homes. When Su arrived back at his own village, his family, his family circumstances had improved so much that he did not return to fishing. Later, he saw people from the Chaoyuan County who told him that the deity was working miracles and had become widely known. The recorder of things strange says, to attain the heights of ambition without forgetting the friends one made when poor and lowly. That is what made Wang Liu Long a god. Nowadays, when do the high and noble in their carriages recognize those still wearing a bamboo hat? So that's it for this episode. I'd like to thank you for listening and I encourage you, if you have not, please follow this podcast and share it with your friends. And next week I'll be reading some more stuff and I'll, I'll diversify it. So that's different, of course, but uh, yeah, I want to thank everybody for listening and have a wonderful rest of the week and I will see you next time.